Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. Anyone who's serious about trying to make construction more efficient needs to recognize that there are a bunch of folks with whom you have to work, architects, engineers, city building and planning officials, general contractors, all of whom impact ultimately your ability to efficiently deliver a great project. Certainly, one can take a full-stack approach and try to replace all those people. It's hard to do, but we're doing the opposite. If you've ever known anybody who's built a home or undergone a big renovation, then you have an idea of just how complicated, time-consuming, and expensive construction can be. What if there were a way to make it easier? We think that tens of thousands of architects who design for local communities are great because they understand local permit processes and, and materials and vernacular. We want to empower them. We want to empower the local GCs who understand the local conditions, who do the local work. We want to make the entire process more efficient by working more efficiently with those kinds of folks. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. It's obvious to most anyone that construction is a complex business. From architects to engineers to permits to subcontractors, it's no surprise that so many projects are over budget and past deadline. But where there's complexity, there's opportunity. And that's the niche that Steve Glenn has filled with Plant Prefab. Plant Prefab creates beautiful custom homes designed by architects and built to rigorous environmental standards. And by fabricating pieces of the structure, in their facility simultaneous to construction on site, they're able to operate much more efficient than traditional companies. I sat down with Steve to discuss their approach to tackling a crowded sector with tons of players, the technology that's in their DNA, and how they're leading the charge on eco-friendly construction. Let's enter the arena with Steve Glenn. My first love as a kid was uh, architecture. Wanted to be an architect, had Legos and blocks and made cities. Um, got to college, got involved in tech, which was my career before this, but still thought I might go into design. Did a design program, learned that I really had neither the talent nor temperament to be an architect, unfortunately. Uh, but learned about developers. One guy in particular, Jim Rouse, who uh, 
both help me to appreciate that if you care about the quality of the built environment, there are people like developers who are in a position to hire architects and let them do great things or not. And he was also the first social entrepreneur to whom I was exposed. I was in school in the mid to late 80s, so that, that was not social entrepreneurism. Those folks were out there, but but doing great things. But that wasn't yet a term that was uh, widely recognized. And I kind of concluded that like Rouse, I wanted to wed profit and purpose in the work that I did. So that was the original inspiration. But after, and I should say not but, but and after a career in tech, uh, mostly startups and some big companies and some nonprofit work, I decided it was the right time to get into real estate. My thesis for a business came very quickly. It concluded that there was a large and growing number of people who, like me, really valued design, health, and sustainability. So we were shopping at Whole Foods and driving Priuses and buying from Patagonia and using Apple products, buying some furniture from Design Within Reach, probably more from Ikea, reading Dwell Wired. So as I just quickly illustrated, lots of companies back in the day that built products in a way that reflected the great value we placed on form and functionality and health and sustainability. But the production home builders, the Tolls, uh, KB Homes, Lennars, weren't building for us. So we said, we're going to start a company to to focus on us. And the idea was get great world-class architects, integrate a lead platinum-level environmental program, and then use outsource factory production to more efficiently build what we build. Can kind of go into greater details about how that led to us spinning out plant prefab uh, six years ago. It's a longer conversation if you care, but we realized there was a bigger opportunity to not just design, but also manufacture homes. And so six years ago, we started plant prefab and Um, Our focus is on making it really efficient to design and construct sustainable single and multifamily housing. That's what we do. Well, it's it's super interesting to read about. And and the more you read about what you guys do, the more you understand that it's really a disruptive technology company and the market is absolutely gigantic. Um, Maybe like in your mind, tell, tell our listeners why plant prefab is a is a tech company, you know, when most people might look at what you do and on the surface, you know, they don't dig deep enough and they're like, oh, it's another builder. Like, why is why is the company a technology company? Well, on several levels, um, first of all, let's take a step back. There, there are three major phases involved in building anything, whether it's a home, a office building, a football stadium, design, permitting, and construction. And you will spend most of your time and money generally on design and construction. And frankly, you'll probably spend most of your money on construction. And so if you want to build more efficiently, it's not just the case that you can focus on the construction part. You have to focus on the design part. And so in the design domain, there are tools that architects and engineers use to design and engineer and we have some tools to make that process more efficient, as well as some customer-facing web-based tools to make the design process more efficient. And then we created our own building system, have an issued patent, combines kind of the best features of the two major building systems, modules and panels, 
to create a more efficient way to build. That's that's under the construction uh, phase. And we just today announced that we're opening a completely automated facility that will allow us to build our components much more efficiently. That uses robotic technology to allow us to do this. So we are applying technology in a bunch of areas um, at the end of the day to make design, engineering, and construction more efficient. Yep. And um, the other eye-opener is, uh, you know, you, you've obviously uh, need some capital to, to build out what you do and achieve your growth plans. Your in- investor base is really a who's who, absolutely impressive. They seem on the surface to be uh, technology investors and and. Uh, you know, what, what do you think they see in the company and, and how can they benefit you as you kind of execute on this journey? Well, it's technology. It's also a number of strategics. Uh, people like uh, Gerdau, one of the world's biggest building products manufacturers, Asai Kasai, which owns Asai Homes, which is Japan's largest luxury home builder. Um, obviously, Amazon through their Alexa fund, certainly they invest in technology, but they're, they've got a, a more strategic focus. Um, Amazon very concerned about smart homes, uh, smart home technology. Well, I, I think, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, construction is one of the world's biggest industries, trillion dollars, uh, just in the U.S., if you look across residential, commercial, education. Uh, home building, the biggest part of that, over half a billion dollars, in new home construction. And McKinsey did an interesting report a couple years ago looking at um, the housing industry and found that construction, rather looked at the construction industry, is the one major industry where productivity has gone down over the last 100 years. It's just a slight amount, but literally no other, all other industries, productivity has gone up, some dramatically so. So you've got a huge industry with a big pain point, namely costs going up, labor constrained, particularly since the downturn of 2008 through 2012, and an increasing discontinuity between demand and supply. So it's a, it's a huge industry, big problem, ripe for disruption. And fortunately, investors have kind of woken up to the opportunities here. And so there are a bunch of folks, certainly we among them, who are trying to innovate. This is a different industry than many other large industries. It's very fragmented. So if you look at the top 10 home builders, Lennar, Pulte, NVR, last year they were maybe 26, 27% of the market. There just literally are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of home builders, some very large, multi-10 billion-like like Pulte and, and, and many very small who build homes across the country. It's very local. So for folks who have aspirations to do what Amazon and Apple and Facebook and others have done for their industries, kind of winner-take-all stuff, I don't think it happens here. But the good news is you can pick a segment and be a rounding heir in that $500-plus billion new home market, but a rounding air in a market that big is still a very large company. So I think a lot of us um, can be very successful. We can all coexist in a very large market. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you the the technology. You know, when you look at the different channels, and I don't know if that's what you call it, from residential to student housing to hospitality to, you know, whatever else is out there, it seems like each one of those is a multi-billion dollar market. How do you sit there and prioritize where you're allocating your resources and people when you have so many options to make an impact? Well, ours is simple. We're, we're, we're focused on the custom market. What does that mean? Um, where you hire an architect to create a specific design for a specific lot, specific program. And we think it's interesting because we are a mission-driven company. We're B Corp certified. We're the only prefabricator, full service uh, design and manufacturing that is B Corp certified currently. And so we are particularly interested in the urban infill market. So that's what the real estate market calls building in cities. And let me talk about this from two standpoints, profit and purpose. On the purpose side, one positive trend, some might argue the only really positive trend in climate change, most trends are really not positive, is that the world's becoming more urbanized. It's happening in the U.S. It's happening in all major countries. People are moving to cities. And the reason why that's positive is that by having people closer to transportation, jobs, services, literally dramatically reduces their ecological footprint. New York City, by many measures, is the most sustainable city in the, in, in the world. Um, kind of total energy use divided by population, that gives you your ecological footprint. So this is something that's good, that should be encouraged. Uh, more densification, as opposed to people moving out to the suburbs or greenfields, places that have never been developed. The challenge is that building in cities is the most expensive place to build. Land costs, labor costs, um, even permit fees are all higher, way higher than, than you find outside of cities. And there's another challenge, which is that in the U.S. at least, lots aren't standardized. So lots can vary Neighborhood by neighborhood, zoning, setbacks, height limits can vary neighborhood by neighborhood. Design requirements, uh, how you get into a lot, view and light opportunities. So whether you're an individual doing a new home in West Hollywood or a large developer doing a 50-story condo project in downtown LA, you are hiring an architect to create a specific solution for that lot. And that's just not going to change. Because again, the lots have been set for, in some cases, hundreds of years. Very hard to change them. And so as part of um, an effort to make housing more efficient, more accessible, we've got to crack the code of how to build custom homes more efficiently because that's mostly what happens in cities. It happens outside of cities too, of course, and we do that too, but in particular, urban infill is a huge market for us. So we're focused on that, and that, practically speaking, if you look at what happens in cities, there's an important distinction between big projects and small. Big projects, kind of 100 units and above, those are served by national or even international general contractors, people like Webcore, Turner, Swinerton, Skanska, and those are professional organizations. They're good at what they do. The smaller projects, small multifamily, single family, actually it's a much bigger market. 
than large multifamily. It's much faster growing than large multifamily. And it's served exclusively by local, often mom and pop GCs, some of whom are great and some of whom are not so great, which is why you often hear about schedule delays and cost overruns and uneven quality. Forget about sustainability. That's our market. We're focused on becoming the first national supplier to that market. So, Steve, when I kind of hear you talk about the infill market and the custom market, it's worth putting some numbers around that. What I have seen is numbers that say plant prefab can build a custom house 20 to 50% faster than the traditional method with 30% less waste at a 10 to 25% cost savings. That is mind-blowing to me. And is that something that you feel with, you know, your really well capitalized, you, you learn more about what you do every day. I mean, are those numbers that are kind of real and sustainable? Because if they are, it's absolutely incredible for the level of disruption and efficiency that you can bring to the market. Well, let, let me kind of clarify a couple things. First of all, um, those numbers are relative to traditional site-based approaches, number one. Number two, of course, they will vary widely by project. Um, you almost always save time and it's kind of very difficult not to for this simple fact. We, we actually build offsite in parallel to the site work in a traditional site-based process. Everything is very linear, right? You have to start with the site work grading foundation, utilities, before you can start framing, electrical, plumbing, it all proceeds in a very linear path. You're subject to the vagaries of weather and schedule delays. With what we do, we're working in parallel to the site work. So that's a major time savings. And oh, by the way, it's an indoor uh, facility with full-time staff, so we don't have to worry about scheduling in the same ways. We're not subject to weather delays. Our average project is in the factory for three and a half months, actually a little bit less. So um, that's very fast. The average home in, in LA is 12 to 18 months uh, total construction schedule at this point. On the cost side, now costs will vary widely based on what we're doing where. Sometimes we're not saving any money. In fact, I've had uh, we have some developers who've, who are general contractors who said, I might pay a little bit more for you because I can, I'm a GC, I, I manage my own subs. However, I can't trust them so much anymore because they're all so busy. I need reliability. I need speed. Speed is very important to me. I, I, it, it, that's worth something for me. And I need reliability because I, I need to be able to trust my schedule, my performa, and delays make, and the unreliability of projects are very problematic for me. So the cost side will vary, but you almost always get time. And then with us, quality and sustainability, um, uh, huge. Yeah. And I, I, I also read that, uh, that you guys became the first prefabricated home builder to announce a net zero goal, um, pledging to achieve full carbon neutrality in your operations by 2028. And, uh, you know, you kind of get up in years, like in your fifties, like me, and I'm like, God, that sounds so far away. It's only six years away. Like that is a super aggressive and impressive goal. Like, how are you going to, how are you going to hit that? Well, here's the good news. We hit it last year for the first time. Oh, there you go. So, um, yeah. Um, and look, we're, we're doing it the same way 
um, anyone who has announced goals to be carbon neutral and is in our um, conceptually, at least my opinion, doing this in a responsible way, which is what? First, you, you work um, very diligently and aggressively to reduce your um, energy needs, uh, which of course relates to carbon. And for us, we, um, we're looking at three major areas. Um, what we use in our operations, energy and materials, what we use to create the homes that we build, and then uh, our home's first five years of operation. We want to cover that too, even though, frankly, we have nothing. Once, once a home leaves our factory, we have no ability to impact anything about what happens in that home. But if you build it in a, in a really energy-efficient way, of course, you will have some impact, even if people leave lights on 24-7, which, of course, we hope they don't. So we're looking at that, and we actually issue a corporate sustainability report. You can find it at our site, where we detail how we're doing against these goals. So we work diligently to reduce our carbon emissions or energy consumption to or inexorably related. And then we offset what we are using. That's how we achieved neutrality last year. We are not saying that literally we'll be carbon neutral with no need for, for offsets, although we want to minimize those as, as much as possible, of course. Yeah, progress is a good thing. I, I think it's very difficult to be perfect, but uh, the strides you're making in that area are super impressive. And, uh, you know, these days, things like that not, not only are good for business, they attract capital. And um, doing the right thing uh, obviously can coexist, as you said, with profit if done in the right way. So congratulations on that. Due to their ongoing success and the validation of their business model, Plant Prefab is building even more production facilities. I asked Steve how they're building technology into the fabric of these facilities and how they'll increase capacity. Yeah, well, let's talk um, kind of big picture. What's your strategy here? Um, it's a it's a not atypical in manufacturing hub and spoke model. So the idea is we will have a smaller number of hubs uh, and those are the places where we are manufacturing or will manufacture our components with a very high degree of automation. They will provide those components to spokes who will assemble them for our clients and those spokes are located closer to the markets we serve. Um, we are doing more and more multifamily projects. That's a big capability that the hub will enable because we'll be able to do eight, 900 homes or dwelling units a year uh, from that facility at capacity. But let me take a step back. What more specifically are we doing? We, I mentioned earlier, have a proprietary patented building system. It's called the plant building system. It's comprised of a new kind of panel we developed and then modules that we create with the panels. There are two major building systems in prefab, modules and panels. And companies who work in this domain tend to do one or the other. Both have advantages and disadvantages. Modules are great 
because you can build in parallel to your site work and an all-weather facility. Talked about that a little bit earlier. You can potentially leverage lower-cost labor relative to where you're building. I didn't talk about that, but that's one of the ways you can save money. So those are all great advantages. The downside of modules is that they're very expensive to ship, and they have a lot of redundant framing or structure, and so it's particularly difficult for the multifamily folks to use them at times because they're looking to maximize number of units, maximize floor space, height, and redundant structure makes that difficult. So they often use panels. Panels are the other major building system in prefab. They have much less redundant structure, so they are better suited in many cases for multifamily projects, and they ship flat, so much more efficient to ship. The downside of panels, at least um, uh, the leading system in the U.S., is called a SIP, structural insulated panel. So you get framing and insulation, but you still have to do electrical, plumbing, cladding, drywall, paint. If it's a kitchen or bath, your millwork, your tiles, your appliances. So all that work I just alluded to shifts back on site. But remember, we're working in areas in particular where your labor rates are the most expensive. So we want to avoid that work both in terms of cost and delay. So we designed and patented a new kind of panel. We're building it with, with limited automation now with our third factory, our first hub, with a, an extremely high level of an, uh, automation. And it includes infrastructure, finish work. So it's a much more complete panel than current generation and of SIPs, and we combine it into specialized modules for the expensive parts of the home, the kitchens, baths, utility cores. So now we have greater cost efficiency, transportation efficiency, and design flexibility. That's the plant building system, and we're building the plant panels currently manually, but with the hub, which we open early 2023, we'll be building it with an extremely high level of automation. And that will dramatically increase, increase our velocity as well as uh, reduce our, our, our cogs, our, 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 our costs. So that's what we're doing with the third factory. And the, the second factory in Ontario that we opened uh, in June, that's another spoke. So with the hub opening in Tejon Ranch, early 2023, we will have three spokes, one integrated in that factory. The other two are Rialto and Ontario. More and more the folks that we deal with uh, do care about sustainability. Now, um, you know, maybe it's a self-correcting problem because that's a core focus for us. So they're just coming to us. Um, but I'd like to believe that there is greater appreciation in this industry for why it's important uh, for consumers, how it can help your business. And, um, oh, by the way, more and more municipalities and states are requiring you to build in a more sustainable way. So both, there's a push and pull here. Yeah, listen, I, we deal with public companies all the time. They're all under pressure um, to make advances in ESG and rightfully so. And uh, I know the publicly traded REIT market certainly uh, is in that group and they're, they're looking for solutions and it's no 
no surprise that they would be um, learning more about your technology and, and how to get more efficient and streamlined. My last question, Steve, kind of talks about the entire ecosystem that you serve, whether it's uh, architects and builders and everybody. It, it seems that you have a business that can really you know, not necessarily competing with home builders per se, but you're kind of serving the entire ecosystem. Maybe you can talk about that, how you're making it kind of better, stronger, faster, and more efficient over time. We think that anyone who's serious about trying to make construction more efficient needs to recognize that there are a bunch of folks with whom you have to work, architects, engineers, city, building and planning officials, general contractors, all of whom impact ultimately your ability to efficiently deliver a great project. Certainly, one can take a full-stack approach and try to replace all those people, although you could certainly not replace the building and permit officials, but, but potentially the others. And there was a company who famously tried to do that, Katera, uh, raised a lot of bu- money from SoftBank, uh, went bankrupt earlier this year, it's hard to do, and, 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 but we're doing the opposite. We think that tens of thousands of architects who design for local communities are great because they understand uh, local permit processes and, and materials and vernacular. We want to empower them, and we want to empower the local GCs who understand the local conditions, who do the local work. We want to make the entire process more efficient by working more efficiently with those kinds of folks. And so that's how we've kind of set ourselves up. And we've got tools for those folks, building system optimized for the kind of work they do. And that's our approach. You know, there's a real opportunity for companies and investors in the real estate space between residential, commercial, and industrials. It's a massive pie to share. And since it's regionally dependent for the most part, there's plenty of entry points across the country. When you join that opportunity with efficiency, technology, and the commitment to the environment that Steve talked about, it's easy to get really excited about the growth potential. Welcome to the arena. We're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app or leaving a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Many thanks to Steve Glenn for coming on the show. It's just so cool what he and his senior team are building no pun intended. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to see their work, please take a look. It's an incredible marriage of form and function, and they're good for the planet too. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.